0: for joining us and folks who are going to be listening to this. This is Brad Michael Elmore, the writer and director of BIT, the severely, severely underrated intersectional feminist queer vampire movie that Jess and I both adore. So we are delighted to have you here today with us. Thank you.
1: You're too good.
0: (laughs) well first off i have a couple of like warm-up questions for you and then we'll get into bit. the reason why we're all here today the reason why i exist essentially (laughs) so uh okay brad if you're ready i'm ready excellent so your films seem to have this common thread of like a punk rock rock and roll attitude and aesthetic so where does that come from Because for me, I'm a follower of yours on social media, Instagram, Twitter, you're on there a lot and music seems to play a massive part in your life and in the films you create. So where does that come from?
1: I like that question. I yeah, I'm much more influenced, I think, by music in life than I am movies in general. I'm a big liner notes nerd, and though I, I am every bit the cinephile than I think any a uh, lot of filmmakers are, I typically tend to even get ideas based around songs I hear or, or things, and then creating a world around and playlists around characters. And and there's like playlist elements for individual characters, which may not be to the mood of the thing I'm writing. And then there's the playlist for the thing I'm writing and, and and in the case of, of Bit, a lot of the stuff was, I was r- writing too, was stuff I was writing into the movie as well because there were newer bands that I figured would be easier to get the license. Whereas like my first film, it's like, you know, I'm very much listening to a very particular type of metal that there's no way my $10,000 movie could ever have in it, but it just still <laughs> in- influences it. And I tend to see art. There's this there's this comic book artist called uh, Paul Pope, and he he refers to comics as design containers. I agree with that. Like the the language of the thing speaking into itself and being sort of singular. And I would say that my approach to even making movies is more like uh, like an album. Like mm-hmm. each, each different thing I've made is like a different type of it feels more like an album it feels more like getting a, a sort of band together and, and this is going to be this type of thing You know, like bit is very much more la indie pop and uh more like a pop song in general like a pop yeah. album yeah. um mm-hmm. and then like you know my second film would be like much more proggy and then my first movie is just like my ode to the metal I liked when I was a little little kid and like yeah. the older kids would listen to when I was little yeah. you know so yeah I just dig music <laughs> I mean that's a long yeah. way around the bend <laughs> like it makes like a lot
0: like, of sense. like most
1: people big big fan of music you know
0: yeah yeah that's fascinating absolutely and how you create your your film so i guess a little quick offset of that i'd be curious to hear like what would be on your bit playlist then
1: i mean most of the stuff that was in the film is is, yeah was on that playlist uh estrons um unfortunately we i did not get a la witch the expats see
0: the stuff is all like modern and hip i have no um
1: uh, the (laughs) death the death valley girls uh, which which has been i really love who are actually in the movie, which was so cool, because I saw them in like 2014 at the Echo, and then writing that into the script and and getting them to agree to come and do it was pretty pretty bitching. Yeah, I, I, and then there was like other stuff that was I didn't want to necessarily use in the film, but like was a really big influence. Like Peaches, the whole character of Duke hopped in my head because of a Peaches song, "The, the Boys Want a Beer," and a lot of her works in there. Some like 90s stuff that I like, like um like Garbage um oh, yeah. <laughs> was was on that playlist. Awesome. Um, And initially in the script, even Laurel's character was going to have, as she's written before Nicole was cast, she's written much more like a Daria Morgendorfer type, like much more droll, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and and having that much, uh, that feeling. And it it just became, which sort of speaks to like some of the, the more 90s stuff I was listening to as well. Yeah, uh, And yeah. as soon as we started going into it, because we didn't have a lot of time, it became very clear that like, I'd rather just embrace this sort of like, Nicole just has a certain type of exuberance. And I thought it'd be easier to embrace that and, and try to like move her into this, this other thing and leaned into that more. Obviously, the song Rasputin was on the <laughs> playlist. I mean, and that was written into the script. That was one of two things I wrote into the script that's like, this movie can't exist without this, like... It just can't. Like, if you can't, if you can't get this song for this thing, right. then there's no point in doing the thing. You know, um, which it, it's sort of taboo. You don't want to. You don't want to overdo it. You don't want to like, unless you're unless you're at a level where whatever you write just gets made, which I'm not. You don't. You want to be careful about what you put in. To the script is like a song. You you want to avoid that. But in certain cases, special cases, you you sort of can, you know, there's no rules. So it's like, no, like, okay, you're not supposed to do this, but it has to be Rasputin by Boney M or
2: <laughs> mm. or
1: or there's no movie. You
0: know? <laughs> that's fair. Well, that's amazing that you're able to get the song in and to have that well, go in there. It's a so. great scene. Like I remember yeah, watching it for the first time and being
2: like, what introduction of lad and all of a sudden Rasputin comes on. I was like, I am in this movie. I've already been into this movie this whole time. Now I'm just like, this is like, and the whole montage sequences, everything. I love that, so.
1: Yes, it's my favorite part of the movie. I'm really proud yeah. of it.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. I just got away with a lot of like weird things that I just, I'm like, I can't believe I'm getting to do this today, which is like, you know, having a guy known since I was 17 years old dressed up like Robert Palmer <laughs> yes. in the back of a limo. And all the girls are dressed up like the Robert Palmer addicted to love girls.
0: Yes, like, yeah, yeah.
1: And, 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 it, and it's like, I, I wrote into this script like, Remington Steel meets Robert Palmer. and There it is. I'm like, this is great.
0: Um,
1: and then dressing him up like Tony Manero and having him do like the most horrible disco you can
2: imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and, and
1: like this sort of expressionistic, silly way. I, I, yeah. Which is funny. Cause I noticed like when, when Vlad is first introduced, I, I think I might've dropped the ball a little bit in the festival run. We had the scene, uh, like people would eventually get on board, but there was like almost like a, people were afraid to laugh when he's introduced, you know, I like, like, they didn't know if that was supposed to be funny. But as soon as, by the time you get to the disco, it's like, no, this guy's ridiculous. Like, you can yeah. laugh. Like, this, Yeah. yeah. like, so there's supposed to be, he was so beautiful. And then here's this weirdo, just like <laughs> Cat Stevens, who looks completely <laughs> yeah. out of place and with his page boy haircut. Like, I mean, yeah. that was, that's by design, you know? Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, that that was fun.
0: He was so campy. I was I was very taken aback, but pleasantly surprised by how much I adored him. I agree. Well,
2: it's all about that power of the, the vampire magnetism and stuff like that, right? That's their power. Add
0: that onto it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, my other warm-up question is, especially now that I've seen the films that I have had access to, thank you again for that, I find that your films portray a lot of heart at their core with struggles with, like, personal identity, like family issues, romantic relationships, it's, you know, etc. Yeah, so there's a lot of heart to it. There's a lot of heart and soul, I guess you could say. Um, so would you consider yourself an empathetic person?
1: Oh, I try to be. I think uh, as a... Uh, like as a creative person i'd say that's probably the best of me In so much as like where i can be the most empathetic i I feel really just the thing that interests me most about even writing is is empathy and exploration you know Like what kind of world you live in, but it's like, it's not entirely the most fun thing to be alive, you know? So it's interesting to look at those are the things that interest me, regrets and best intentions and and little internecine things and and people's like small wins and big losses. Like I I like that kind of stuff. That's the stuff that interests me about storytelling Doing it and watching it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would. I in my actual life, in my empathetic, I it's that's more of a process. That's more of like like a a, negot- a constant negotiation to like not step on people's necks and figure out where you are and, and like try to get better at it. You know, I mean, I I have a I think personally, I have somewhat of a recovering narcissist. I guess you could say. Like, so it's it, more of a ne- negotiation in my in my actual life much easier to process in hindsight
0: yeah well it definitely a lot of that comes through in the films and you know it's they're they're really wonderful and i think you're (gasps) super talented so thank you thank you for being here all right should be we, we're gonna jump into bit then take a bite at a bit so prior to bit you had written and directed as far as i know as per imdb one feature film i guess with one short i'm always confused like our shorts like have to be an hour a and a, what's that sorry um I,
1: i've never done a short um no i've just it's an I've hour just a,
0: right that's like the cutoff point yeah, would be considered
1: a short festivals consider anything over 50 minutes to be featured, feature. Gotcha. Um, okay. And it's, you know, like, Kozlowski makes 48-minute, 52-minute movies. I mean, that's, since my first movie is such a weird artifact made for such a small amount of money, it's like, there, there are scenes that come through when you don't have a lot of money and there's only so much mm-hmm. people I think are, would be willing to extend their time.
0: Right. You know, that's like, a, yeah. an
1: hour and seven-minute $10,000 film is, I think, a, a perfect amount of time for people to accept certain weaknesses and then, like, making them sit for two hours would have been just Right. Looney Tunes, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah. No, um, for sure. For sure. Do no, I get that. Um
1: yeah, two features, a bunch yeah. of stuff that went into development that never came out, and then Bit. Bit is my, And right. Bit is the first feature I made where none of my own money went into it. So it's like, I guess in some ways, my first, to some standard, real. Right. In, in so yes. much as I get yeah. like getting paid to make it, you know? Yeah.
0: That's great. What made you, and this is going to be like a bunch of little questions put into one, but... Shoot. With everything that you've done prior to BIT, now you've done a more quote unquote real genre film specifically, you know, what made you want to do a vampire film? I would say another horror film. Why teen girl horror? Why queer horror? Why feminist horror? That's kind of like a bunch of little things that created, like that's part of BIT. So why did you want to go into that direction?
1: Since it's a bunch of little questions and stuff, I'll, I'll try to go back and try to give this context here. Uh, hopefully I don't bore you. to Long tears. One bit, essentially. <laughs> the big thing was when I made Wolfman's Hammer, that actually hit pretty hard in so much as like getting my name out there harder than I thought it would for a movie on YouTube. And I had a script about a paparazzi photographer that like also did well was rep by major studios. I just, I was like, cool. I'm, I made it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I did not make it at all. Um, but I didn't know that. I wish I had. Yeah. Oh. What I had made it into was the cycle of development, which I was sort of so naive about. Mm. Uh, and for me, time's like a big deal. Like it is for everyone, but like at that time in my life, you know, making The Wolfman's Hand was like a, like a do or die situation. I had moved to LA when I was 18. All I want to do is make movies. By the time I'm like 23, I think I've gotten pretty good at writing and I've, you know, been living whatever day job I can. And I've started to get my first meetings as a writer. And then I got really sick. Like I got, uh, the type of sickness you don't wish on other people sick right mm. it like took about two years out of my life and I had to go back home and um after that and so I was like well the rug could come out again and I just have to make a movie before i I mean the clock is so ticking I was so aware of that like a PTSD kind of way, so I just obsessively, voraciously worked two jobs, made a movie, took a year to make it, took months to edit it, got it out there couldn't even pay to get it into festivals so I just threw it up on fucking YouTube so time is the big deal so there's more context, have this movie it's going through, it's got some big actors attached, it took a while to even get to that point say about a year and a half, and then right when everything's about to go, be signed on the dotted line, it falls apart, all along that time everybody's going, if you have any genre scripts those are easy to get made. Do you have anything genre? Cause the, the paparazzi script is not genre. So after that fell apart, I was like, shit, let me write a, like a genre thing. So I wrote Boogeyman Pop. We took, I took that to a company. It started to go through the same fucking process of development the same thing. I was like, no, I can't do this for another two years. I, I, I just, I just can't. So I sold my car and <laughs> went up to Oregon, gathered some money, got some people involved and made a movie kind of like I made Wolfman's Hammer the just make a movie type thing uh, with that one. And that took years, but at least I was making something. All along that way, I developed sort of um, connections, you know, as, as like Blumhouse picked up Boogeyman Pop and stuff like that, I developed connections. And I knew that as this was going about and it was people seemed to like it, that I could get a movie made if I wrote a genre script, like more easier now. I'd made enough connections in that genre world through making that movie, and I figured, yeah, this will be cool. I, I can, I can, I'll do, I'll do one. But and after having making two movies of a certain type, I just wanted to do something really fun. Fun was a big thing for this one, like uh, less stressful, less arid, less grungy, and
0: yeah. like yeah. prove
1: that I could do something like a little bit more pop, songy initially though i wrote bit not to direct it to be honest like as soon as i landed on i was like i could sell this script as soon as i landed on uh, sort of the subject matter Mm -hmm. i was like i'll I'll be eaten alive if i direct this it just turned out that the company that option didn't want to do it was like well we only want option this percent on this director and i need to eat Mm -hmm. uh so i did but now that you sort of understand that like doing a genre film was a way to get there you know to get money to be paid to make a movie The other elements were, like, not wanting to be in genre as much, and that's not a a quality judgment at all. Like, I don't believe in the hierarchical thing. Mm -hmm. Everything's just as good as everything else. It's just, like, a personal preference, right? Yeah. Uh, But I do love genre. I figured, well, if if I'm going to do something, like, fun, what is the sort of weird, I guess you could say, brick-through-the-window Trojan horse elements I could get into something that is in my head, a a bit more conventional of a movie uh, than, than my other two. So it was sort of in the air that, and conversations I'd been paying attention to anyway, just as a human. And I just couldn't sort of believe the big deal people would, were making out of certain things. Mm -hmm. It just seemed like Mm -hmm. you'd hear, you know, Spider-Man's best friend is going to be trans, and it's like the, and I was just like, okay, but does anybody have guts anymore? Like, just, it's not a big deal. Like, it, the way I saw it was like, like, somebody's going to do this. And since I felt a little bit comfortable knowing that I'm not centering this, it's complicated because I don't think that people should stay in their life, like, story was. I just don't. I don't think that's how storytelling works. I think a 23 year old Korean girl could have a great movie about a 48 year old libertarian man going through a divorce. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just I just but I also understand that the opportunities aren't there right now. So it's not an even playing field.
0: Yeah, so absolutely.
1: So maybe let the playing field even out before you let dudes like me tell stories about anything, you know, that isn't yeah. dudes like me. But I felt some comfort knowing this isn't going to be and it's not my place at this time to tell the, uh, the story of like the, the trans experience. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm just going to make a genre movie where a trans character happens to be the lead and that's it. And if I do the same work I do on any other character, I, mm-hmm. I look at and just try to get it right. And the type of research that takes, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I should be fine because I can I the things I want to talk about in this are sort of outside of that. And I've said this before in different interviews, but it was also important not to make it too arbitrary i feel like that would be condescending if uh floral were to be like a trans character but and the movie's not about her yeah. that at all but but to make it just so because that's just dishonest writing for anybody mm-hmm. uh the mm-hmm. world reacts to you differently when you react to it based upon where you're from what your yeah. accent is your your height I mean, none of these qualities are are neutral, so I didn't want to make it mm-hmm. a neutral element. I, it had to be addressed. And then I was just simply going, well, I've been listening to this sort of general discourse for a while. What has been done to death? What has been seen a million times? And just don't do that, you know? And what have I seen or witnessed that I can kind of show that isn't too othering, but is letting the sort of the people who would understand know that I making a best attempt to best represent this, like the character, the, like, I hadn't seen the patron patronage that the, that the character does at the beginning in the party depicted. And I figured that one's not lurid, you know, like I didn't Mm want to do some lurid thing, but I felt like that's a good way to sort of speak to this element in a way that feels honest to me, but doesn't violate what the film isn't built to sustain. Mm -hmm. I I don't even know
0: where I am now (laughs) That's okay Um, Which I think I'll jump into Jazz is the question I had um, Later on but we're just kind of Flowing into it so Mm -hmm. with the Queer element of bit Now that I've seen Boogeyman Pop You dabbled with some queer text In that movie and And I have to say that that, um, between the main protagonist, part of me and I'm pandemic brain, I forget everyone's name, but our protagonist played by the ever wonderful James Paxton that he finds out that his like best friend is gay. And it's just like this beautiful, delightful, surprising scene. I mean, and so you kind of dabbled in that a little bit with that, with that movie. So of obviously this time, you dived much deeper into that that well. (laughs) And you mentioned, and I've read articles and heard interviews and stuff like that, that you did do a lot of research into creating queer and trans characters, like, again, through Laurel. Um, so even though you did all this research and which is amazing, which is a lot more than I can, you know, a lot of other people have done when they've done their films, which is astounding to me. So it's really respectful. And, you know, we all appreciate that you did that. You did your part with this. So even though you kind of did have some comfort with it, you did had all this research and people helping you, even with all of that, did you still have any kind of fears or anxiety or worries that this film bit would still be offensive or upsetting to some people? people it has become well well adored and liked and loved in and became a niche and like this cult favorite through a lot through uh the horror community but also the lgbtq community but in the end did you still have reservations when you're like okay this is done i'm gonna put it into the world what's going to happen
1: oh yeah i was shit scared i thought i was going to be uh decapitated or like uh yeah i was very nervous back though I'd had people around the, the movie itself when you're making it who seemed to understand and be on board and give me a sort of like the validation be like hey no you he got it and, and then the script phase that I sort of vetted it through some sensitivity readings there's still like there was still like a lot of fear yeah absolutely I, I think it all went away though when the first night we played at a festival and the the, the crowd reaction was so positive and you know a big it was uh, we premiered we I believe uh, Inside Out in Toronto. Yeah, in Toronto. And
0: who knew? <laughs> I didn't know.
1: <laughs> and um, and uh, that TIFF theater, the light box or whatever, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, it was a packed, sold out show, is was a big premiered for us and I was convinced like I was going to get hard and feathered like I, I really yeah. was and yeah. but it, it didn't happen and as soon as that happened I was uh, after that I didn't I, yeah. I didn't have that reservation as much um so you, you go into things with best intentions but you don't you don't know what you don't know mm, and absolutely. I was I was just sort of waiting for like some giant blind spot to make itself very apparent. And yeah. and and, uh, and I would have taken my lumps though, anyway. I wouldn't have argued about it. Which I
2: you know? think is the complete opposite. Like we've been doing a lot of research in preparation for our podcast episode that's just gonna be about bit and representation. And one of the things in a lot of articles about talking about transphobia in hor- in the horror community in general is that when they talk about all the different films, bit comes up as this is the representation we want. And so I guess the question I want to ask is how do you feel about that? Like people are, are, Seeing this movie, they're talking about it and being like, it's taken almost like 40, 50 years to finally have a film that shows us trans representation, this queer representation. We're not dehumanized. We're not othered. Like, it's like Bit is now on this pedestal of representation uh, in the community, in the horror community. And wondering how you feel about that. Uh,
1: really good. Uh, I mean, that's, <laughs> uh, that's uh, honestly, that's, that was the Trojan horse element that I was going for. I mean, it was just like, there's two things that I really wanted to do, which was like, I wanted to sort of capture a, that sort of, Feeling I had when I was a kid, and I'd catch like a type of uh, new line cinema movie on cable, like uh, or like the Lost Boys or something like something that was just oh. like fun and kind of lurid. Yeah, and I wanted like I'm like yeah that I loved that experience. Like that was such a key experience to being being young or a teenager you know is watching like catching the guy for on hbo or mm-hmm. or something like that you know or, or maniac cop or what or what have you <laughs> um, but but in particular the lost boys i mean i, I mean that movie is, is owes so much to the freaking lost it's like the lost boys and the ninja turtles are like the it's two biggest sort of like <laughs> uh influences cuz cuz that's that's like that's what i wanted like that kind of sense of fun without losing the the hard R element. Uh So that was one element. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to do one of those, this is the sort of, I try to do something new in each thing I do that that I I haven't seen before. Like in the Boogeyman Pop, we invented a lens uh, that doesn't have an aperture in it for the POV shots and just any little thing I can do. And I hadn't quite seen this done before. And I knew if I was going to do it, I should do it right. So the fact that it, that is, I mean, of all the things that in the aftermath of bit coming out that, that's the part that makes me feel the, the best, frankly, you know? Yeah. That, that's the stuff. That's the stuff that just sticks with me and will stick with me for a while is like, that feels really good obviously you know Mm. i do search out the criticisms too though i yeah i I find them interesting um not not to argue with anybody but to like Mm. you know what what is going on and i do have a a couple couple regrets um but all in all yeah i'm quite moved by it frankly yeah that's
0: great (laughs) that is great and you brought up the lost boys so (laughs) In a previous interview, you mentioned that movies like The Craft, The Lost Boys, and even Jem as inspirations for bed. So what is it about these films or Jem, the TV show that spoke to you directly? And really on top of that... I, again, noticed that you like to write stories about teenagers or young adults thus far. So what it is, and like the craft, Lost Boys, Gem, young adults, teenagers, doing teenager things. So what oh. was it about these that really inspired you to bring it into bid? Which obviously we can see. And as 30-something-year-old women, we just fucking love it. Because we love those movies. <laughs> yeah,
1: the they're, they're craft, they're craft rules. Um,
2: yes. yes.
1: I don't know why. I just kind of felt it. It's just kind of like a just it seemed like a, a different thing to explore, uh, you know, something a bit more glitzy and, and fun, but in so much as writing like teenagers, like for every script I write, most of them don't get made. So yeah. it's interesting. I just happen to have ones about, right. Because again, genre can get money without necessarily needing a star. And so they just happen to be about younger people as the ones that to get made, you know, but I, I do, I, I do enjoy it. And I had made when in making Boogie Man Pop, the center section of that film is is centered around teenage girls, and I had such a good time doing that part, and I had such a good time writing that that I kind of I was just kind of like that logical extension of like enjoying that uh, exploration, like and I I sort of felt like my first two movies are are honest, and I I wouldn't people could find elements they might think are problematic, but I just couldn't give a shit. But I do think I was harder on women in those movies. That's not like a mission of mine. Uh, it just was like this is. Speaking to things I think are true or something. And and then I, in making, I was like, yeah, I wanted, I enjoyed doing that. What if I didn't, I didn't have, I could just have a little bit more, more fun. Fun is just the big capital F. Fun is just the big, big word for, (laughs) for the whole, for wanting to do all of it. You know, I mean. it's yeah. like, I just like, yeah, I want to go hang out at the Foot Clan lair, but with people with the coolest vampire this, I, vampire uh, group that I can think of. Each one of the little vampire squad is modeled after, uh, not one for one by any means, but like is, is definitely modeled after people I've known, you know? So like, like any, like people who had sort of collected in my head is like, I was an interesting person or that person had an interesting vibe. Collect a lot of those. And when I was sitting down and go, who was going to be in this group? It's just like the, I was like, oh, they would be perfect. They would be perfect. They would be mm. perfect. And the other thing is, is like with Gem and the Holograms. And I also watched later, way later in the process, but I also watched the Bratz
0: movie. Oh. Which I'd never <laughs> seen. Uh, but, uh so shocked right now.
1: <laughs> um, well, Brats okay. The so, dolls,
0: right? They turned a movie from the the dolls yeah, into yeah, yeah, I, wow. Because it's uh, a recommendation. Should I be watching this? No, <laughs> no, not at all, not at
1: all. Uh, but that was sort of later. That was more of a production thing. Um, yeah. But uh, this is a thing I've said before, and I, just, I apologize. Try not to slip on my words here. But uh, so when I talk about the those movies uh, that I think are fun like the lurid R-rated, you know, whatnots, there is an element that they feel like they were meant to pack in teenagers and in particular teenage boys, like those, those type of R-rated mm-hmm. genre programmers. Like not saying girls are, are don't like them, mm-hmm. but, the, but I feel mm-hmm. like the coding is very clear, right? And I was like, ha- I was trying to see if I could solve for any decision that a, teen- a 14-year-old boy would go, awesome, make the opposite decision, yeah. Like, do, 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 like, have, yeah. yeah. But still, but still, keep it. Cause I didn't. I didn't want it to be like nice either. I, I wanted mm-hmm. to be lurid. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's like the Lost Boys is pretty lurid, you know.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: And I, like, I didn't want to take away those those elements. And so I was like, how do I make? I, even though those movies are R rated, they're they're meant for teenagers. So let's be mm-hmm. real, you know. So how do I make that the fun genre movie for what I would consider? As just a, as an abstract, not not as like a literal thing, but like as an abstract, like for like a young young teen girl audience, but still have the same. Just to see if I can pull that off. And when I, the Bratz movie came about, because the time and the budget, which was the, there's no time, no budget, dictated that we had got i gotten to a level where it's just expensive enough to like pay the departments and like have like a movie, and it was actually harder to achieve like a realistic lived in feel like my like my first two movies, you know. Because of the the cramping of time, and like you know, if you want like punk rock clothes, and you're hopping through decades and through different things, and you've got different locations you've got to cover that day, to have doubles of extremely distressed, worn in, and truly uh, real looking or dingy uh, environments and atmosphere, like I was at a budget level where that actually became harder Mm. to do. So, really quickly, I was like, okay, fuck it, we're just going to lean hard into artifice. Like everything will be streamlined and iconic. And so I, I like watched the Bratz movie and certain other things to be like, I was like, basically I have the budget of a, an episode of a CW television, less, less than the yeah. budget of an yeah. episode of a CW television show. Yeah. So I was like, how, how do I, okay. Instead of trying to run from that, if I, how do you make the sort of most fun, violent and weird version of that? You, you can it, it, it sometimes works and sometimes it doesn't. But that was sort of like a, a last minute decision as we headed into doing the movie.
2: So one of the questions I uh, have is about around the release of the film. And one of the things is that it was so silent. It, like, it was like the silent sleeper that came out and all of a sudden it, w- it was there. And I was like, wow, where is this film? I haven't heard of this before. And we noticed that, too, you do a lot of your own marketing for the film. So I was just wondering what was the story around that?
1: Yeah, I should have gotten on that sooner. I I mean, I'd left Twitter years ago and then I had to go back on after a couple months after it came out uh, just to like push it anyway. So we did, I'd say we did really well at festivals and we had a pretty big buzz Mm. from from our festival run the summer, two summers ago, right? Like great reviews across the board, really good poll quotes. Nicole won Best Performance at Outfest, which was Mm -hmm. great. And so it's still a small movie and it's still like a little genre film with no, no big, big stars in it. Um, so the distributor that picked it up was going to do a limited theatrical release and the pandemic hit. Mm. And it was just like, because of that, there's no reason to market it. You know I mean? the the, the In their heads, I guess, it's like the marketing this movie, because you're referring to like the sort of online conversation. The truth is, is that distributors or Vertical at the time felt that we're just going to, we're getting this on the home, since it's we're dumping it to VOD because it can't do the theatrical. We're just going to put it out on VOD the cost of like any sort of marketing isn't really worth it because our job is to put it on the home pages of iTunes and things like that, which they did. Mm-hmm. So it actually did well in that regard, you know, like yeah. b- but the conversation online wasn't there because of that lack of marketing. Yeah. They just kinda d- dumped it on VOD as soon as they they as soon as it became clear that there was no theatrical
0: release. Sorry, the neighbor the neighbor kids are all
1: running out in the courtyard now. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I had heard of it through, again, word of mouth. Like, I remember hearing some of the buzz for the festivals and stuff like that. They're like, oh, BIT, BIT, this, like, intersectional feminist vampire film. And I was like, and it's called BIT? This sounds amazing. And then, you know, I'm in Canada. Apparently, I missed that fucking screening. I don't know what happened. Um... (laughs) but eventually yes, I, you know, was able to, to find it online. I was happy that I was able to do that, but it's, yeah, I liked what Jess called it, which is like the sleeper hit, I guess, in in the, in the community, which is just too bad, but I think we're gaining momentum. And I, I think it's safe to assume Brad that you're doing like a lot of interviews and different things for, for pride month for, for bit. Like it's kind of jumped up with its followers and and fans I have found anyways.
1: Yeah, I, I would say, I would say so again, in concerns with like the mostly what they were looking at was just like the people who are going to rent this on iTunes who don't have a Twitter it was was their thinking mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree with it but that's just right. what happened and I'm I'm glad it seems to have something approaching legs I guess I don't really know um, I'm not mm-hmm. privy to like numbers or anything but
0: yeah yeah
1: uh, it seemed it you know it is what it is yeah. it's out in the world and I like the more popular it gets the the more I'm happy about that mm-hmm. that's great mm-hmm. And I appreciate every little word of mouth, you know. It's like immensely because it does it does help, you know. I think vertical is uh, would, didn't handle that well, and mm-hmm. we just weren't. I guess the bid just wasn't considered an asset once there was no once it was just going to VOD, you know. Once yeah. it was just once that decision was made, once it was clear the theaters yeah. weren't coming back anytime soon, the yeah. it was all up to I guess me to put and Nicole and whatnot yeah. to sort of push the yeah. film, you know.
0: Yeah yeah that's too bad
2: it'll not be too nice too to the distributor and make it available to buy in canada i've been trying to get a copy of a physical copy of it myself and i can I, only get it. To you the know States. i yeah. don't
1: know even i didn't even know there was a physical version i guess there's some in the uk i don't really have it's, any yeah. information about that kind of shit i would I, yeah it's yeah. a it's a mess um <laughs>
0: that's too bad <laughs> fuck man we'll give it like I, five would, ten years i'll be yeah i would to see do where like that a, it's gonna be so cool
1: I, i'd love to do you know like a arrow release with you know cool ass soundtrack you know oh my goodness all yeah, that kind right? of stuff and commentary so i could so i could bitch about the things i want to bitch about you know
0: one um, day, one day, <laughs> you know,
1: I would love to do all that, but you know, right now it just, it is what it is. It's, it's on yeah. Tubi and you can rent it pretty much in any platform and mm-hmm. on
0: yeah, yeah.
1: regard. And I don't, you know, I know there's certain markets that you can't rent it from, which irritates me, but you know, I have nothing to do with that.
2: Yeah. That's totally understandable. A lot that happens to a lot of creators once it's out of their hands and with the, company you're just like and I and that tends but, to happen to a lot of creators especially in the horror genre as their films get taken and then they just don't have any control over it after after it leaves.
1: Yeah uh, and, and, and it's hard to keep anything in a conversation these days anyway you know? mm-hmm. uh, so things rise and fall so
2: fast Yeah. Alright so I have some like questions about the film in itself in terms of some of the characters and some of the ideas and themes um, okay. so one of my questions I have is Would you say that this film is representative of, I guess you would say, the old guard versus the new guard? So are Gen Z vampires versus the boomers, as Vlad would say, the new millennium. Like, how do you feel like when I see this film, I see like Vlad as like the very old school vampire, very old, like kind of boomer-esque type style. And then you've get like uh, Laurel and the other girl and the other uh, women who are all like very kind of like Gen Z. They're, they're new, they're new ways of thinking. And it's just, how do you feel this film represents that?
1: So I don't know. I, I, it's up to what the audience would feel how successful I am at it. But my, and my intention was very much to be, I want to be very clear. I, di- I don't have like, I didn't want the movie to be a thesis on my thoughts on feminism, mm-hmm. you know? I pers- personally sort of side with Duke on every single thing she says. Um, yeah. But there is an element of a conscious element of of her representing second wave feminism. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but but, I, but that also feels like a uh, like a simplification of her because I think it's you know like she's not just that thesis, you know. And uh, but that yeah, that's definitely in- intended. The thing I really just wanted to talk about more so than anything and use feminist ideas to sort of approach that because I think sort of lent itself to it was uh, was power. I just wanted to talk about power structures, mm. you know? Yeah. And, and what they do and how how they can hurt people or shape things and, and how reaction against them is still forming due, due to them, you know, mm-hmm. and the the idea that power is something that um, in so much as like Gen Z versus boomers, I would say it's more about like because the, the character like Izzy is not a Gen Z or she just mm-hmm. looks young. She's, 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 she's been a vampire for a little bit longer than Laurel. she's trapped at 19. But the suggestion is like, maybe mm-hmm. she's maybe she was turned sometime in like 1999 or 2003 or mm-hmm. something like that, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it, it's more about, for me, just like, the importance of minority and outsider voices getting access to power so that power has more nuance. So structures have nuance to them, I guess. Toward structures have more nuance it is more is more my my thinking on the on mm-hmm. the whole thing. Duke has sort of replicated her own version of what she went through with Vlad. And much like with Vlad, when an, another entity comes in, it sort of roils the waters a bit and things level out for the better again, yes. you know, or like they they move up,
2: you know. Uh, Which actually leads into my other question is about Duke, because She's a really interesting and complicated character. Like, we love, we fear her, we hate her, we want to be her all at the same time. Especially at the end. Why did you go this route with this character? Like, and you've referenced to, like, a representation of second wave feminism, so. There are certain characters when you're,
1: when you're an adolescent that are really appealing because they're sort of stand-ins for a type of, like, nihilism you feel. Right. They're therapeutic for, I think, young people. I think, you know, and then you, but you, you know, you got to grow out of it. But the, but like they, they do help sort of ferry you across certain years. You know, they, Mm -hmm, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're the way, you know, you, you want, you're rejecting childhood and now you think you know the score and these, and these mouthpieces coming in and say, this is the score and isn't it all fucked? And you, you use that boat to cross. And then, you know, uh, the problem with a lot of men is that they never get over that. And, They still think they're smart deep into their 20s talking like these characters, you know, but but they are important. And that was sort of a big deal was to like, I'd watched as like those characters had been co-opted by Reddit trolls, Mm -hmm. like uh, Mm -hmm. your Tyler Durden's and your your Jokers and your Alex DeLarge's and your whatnot. So they'd they'd been turned into Pepe the Frog, right? And I just thought like, how do I do that same type of thing with that same sort of import to it? Like somebody who's just a a walking break through the fucking window is just, speaks to that same sort of therapeutic fan the flames thing mm-hmm. that could never be turned into Pepe the Frog. That could never be co-opted by Reddit trolls. And so that's why I went that way with the character. And another big influence on Duke is, um, is, is Bodhi from Point Break. <laughs> um, <laughs> and much... Oh and God. much like I, I, and, yeah. and I, I think a lot of people, I get the question a lot like, is Duke dead or is it like like or that Duke becomes the bad guy? And I' like, I never really saw Duke as the bad guy. She just happens to be in the way of something at the end and, and has committed a act of hubris and it's just, yeah, she's not dead, she's not dead at the end. It, it, it's this It's a movie that can't sustain solving for everything in society. Yeah, <laughs> what it can do is just tell a dramatic story and have some ideas it can talk about. And one of the things that I felt was dramatic would be these two entities coming head to head because Laurel has a very personal connection to what she's trying to defend and okay. who she wants to be, and and Duke is has got a thing that she is as she is is trying to hold on to really tightly, and neither one would give or budge on that. I don't think so. That's the point of that scene. But she's not dead. If there's ever any more bit stuff. She's gonna be back and kicking ass. Like I, I, I would never kill that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Duke is an icon, as I think you're well aware now that she has become an absolute icon. And she's she's I I don't hate her, nor do I fear her. I feel like I don't I know am how her. anyone could
1: hate Duke. Duke <laughs> no, you can't.
0: Like <laughs> like you have your moment
2: with her. You're just like, but Duke, like Laurel, like it's it's all cool, yeah. right? Like you don't have to hold yeah. on to that like extreme man hating feelings but at the same time too though i get where you're coming from i get your pain and i get why you want to protect everyone because we do feel that
0: as well yeah and i think we come at it with let's say these feminist ideals and these feminist ideas because as women our entire fucking lives are a power struggle so us coming at and looking at bit from this regard we're like oh yeah these are all the different things that we see because that's how we're going to read it you know what i mean so and that's such a fantastic aspect of of this film all the different ways that you can you can interpret it and read it and you might relate to this character more than this character and maybe you relate to them now 10 years you might relate to somebody else and it's it's just so fascinating that way and that just shows good storytelling and writing
1: i love duke i there's again, I there's not a single thing that rolls out her mouth I don't agree
0: with, yeah. I
1: and and that was that was a the most fun character to write. Laura was pretty fun, and yeah, they're all fun, but but mm-hmm. because there's the thing about doobie is like I I am a straight dude, uh, I know what lurks in the hearts of men, you know, <laughs> like yes. the shadow does, mm-hmm. you know, yes, yeah, So do-do. I felt like I could, I I could have a character who could take to some extreme, maybe the sort of self indictments I had about my own self. And as I've matured or grown or something, again, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it, it was like, it was therapeutic. And to, to be like, I can't half-ass it. This, she's she's got to be able to look under the, the, the rug and see all the grossness and just go, Nope. Call the exterminator. You know, like the, the, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not worth, it's not to Duke. It's not worth the conversation. It's not Mm -hmm. worth the, well, here's, you know, people are people and here's the midground. It's just like, my life will not be spent fixing you. I'm going to live. And if I have to stomp on you to do so, I will stomp on you to do so. And her, what she's giving the people around, what she feels like she's giving is the access for them to be who they want to be. Like, that's the power she's granting, like- in theory, in her head, it's like, I will give you this thing that I feel allows you to shape yourself how you'd want to be shaped because now you're unaccountable to any structure. You are now immortal. You are now untouchable. So there's no there's no thing that can shape you but yourself. And yeah. so I, I find her to be absolutely correct. Where she goes wrong is she has her inviolable rules and she violates them. Unfortunately, the the edit as it stands doesn't quite get it across in, in a way that I think is clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea is that what I was striving for was that She's not like in their heads, making them be her best buds. What she, yeah. her, her, when she says, you know, I was just doing to help you to make it easier, should have tied into, and with a couple more things that are unfortunately missing, should have tied into the idea that Laurel and Izzy talking about how easy it seems. Like, why is this
2: so uh, okay.
1: easy to just be flippant about life like this? Mm-hmm. And and that would be where Duke is sort of like running into their head and going, no, it's, don't feel this guilt, you know? It's not worth it and i think i think that's a little lost in, in that uh now mm. um but that's sort of sort of where it is where and it's really just something vlad's really just trying to weaponize as well mm-hmm. you know when, when he reveals that hope that answers your
0: question it does um jess i think you have one more question before we get into this we have three social media questions from our listeners and fans yeah i guess my my one my own
2: last question about the movie was the andy storyline was there supposed to be more to it um, in regards how, to how yeah. it relates to Laurel's vampiric transformation? Because like it, it's there, and it's important, and then it just kind of goes Okay, away. so
1: this this is sort of like my big gripe with the movie.
2: Mm. Um, okay.
1: I have an edit. It's basically the exact same length. And there was an edit done that I did not like. And then there was about a year of trying to get my version back to where it should be. To my producer's credit, they never, ever ever fought me on the queer elements of the film or my mandate that that we hire a trans actress they've never fought me on it once we got into production there was a lot of stuff that became uh, where we're butting heads but that was production in post-production is where i feel like everything went really sour because they had cold feet about making laurel to what they out of touch in my estimation brains consider likable so in my edit of the film The film as it stands, and I've said this before, is about 85% my movie, Mm. or my edit, right? Mm. And that 15% that isn't mine is very crucial to me, Mm. and I think neuters Laurel's arc to some degree, and in doing so, neuters two other characters, Mm. and one of them is Andy. So in my version of the movie, Laurel bites people, I don't think there's anything that interesting about somebody. Cause this, this, then it's just the lost boys again, because Michael doesn't want to be a vampire. Like I don't want to be one, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not really an interesting moral dilemma to me, mm-hmm.
2: you know, yeah.
1: uh, it's, it's just, kind of boring. Like,
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> I don't want to kill people. It's like, yeah, great. Cool. Um, in well my waste. version, she, 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 she bites people. She, she's yeah. at the crash house when they attack it, she bites people. And that's why she's talking to Izzy in bed going, why is this so easy? you know? And in the midst of that biting people and doing that stuff, she's, we see her, there's an entire subplot with Andy. It's very quick, but it's crucial that is dealing with his dating life and him trying to reach out to her and them talking about it and something he's going through. And she is just apathetic about it because she's in the the thrall of what she's going through. And same thing with her brother, those Mm -hmm. two arcs. Now there's this, now, to me, the movie as it stands, like the the histrionics that Andy and Mark have, seem to come almost out of nowhere. Um, mm. They're like at a level that's pitched too high for what we've seen because they they were too afraid to make her unlikable and show how much she was pushing them away, mm. um, which I think was the the her arc was supposed to be here's the stated version of the person I want to be somebody who helps people. And then like anybody, the sort of universal idea of like you go to college or you move out or you do whatever, and you are the center of your universe, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: the idea, like the the arc would be that when she decides to go back and help them out after, after Vlad's been released, it's not her cleaning up. It's her doing, it's her finally making that step to be like, no, I want to be who I said I want to be. But I wanted to show her thinking she's that person, but not being that person through a big chunk of the middle to middle third of the film. And that's been sort of, that's been heavily mitigated. And so, yeah, that, that those two characters also have been, uh, yeah, it's it sort of affected their character as well in a way that really just chaps my hide. There's precious little I can do about it, but I was happy to get it to the point it was. I mean, if, if, if y'all could see what it could have been, it, the, the edit they had that, that I spent a year fighting down to the wire, down to the last minute before we struck the DCP, like all the little crazy, stressful political movers just to get, inch it back to where it should be. That version that they had, I feel like they were trying to make it it's like they, they saw the assembly, they saw my cut, and they figured, wow, this turned out well. And in their head, I think they were trying to broaden its appeal. They figured, like, we could make this even more broad without understanding even how that works. And again, this is just my opinion. And so in, in that attempt, that is uh, something that was cut down. And then there's a couple other elements. That change, uh, Laurel not biting people is, is big to me. And then there's like a Couple other elements that are that are missing that I that I will harp about to the end of time, and that would be that fucking flashback. Like, why would you have a flashback of the beginning of your movie in the movie? Like, there's they were just they were just so scared of like letting the movie speak for itself in certain areas. You know?
2: uh, okay, so, I, there's okay. just a,
1: there's a, there's a lot of little things. If, if I may, one more little thing at the very beginning of the movie. Like, uh, I have a sort of a different take on that beginning. Again, there's lots of stretches of the movie that are just untouched. Something. That's I've I've done, and those I'll, some of the things that don't work are absolutely my fault. But the beginning where we see Cody and Saran, uh, I, I sort of had like a, you know, mine just opens on the dead body. None of the establishments are dead body, and then they t- they have the same conversation, but they cut a line that I I feel like lets the audience know what they're dealing with, and when when she because that that scene's so arch, it's so like heightened, mm-hmm. it's sort of ridiculous and she's like okay we need to get out of here now and he's supposed to go but babe what about my band now that (laughs) lets an audience know what movie what this scene is like yeah it's like oh here's this girl giving everything over to this guy and then right at the moment he's like got cold feet she's like but now I'm cool and I have this band like it's like that that would have I think like let the audience in on the, what we're sort of playing with the mm. rules that we're sort of playing with here. And, and so when, so if you, you kind of add just that, that like speaks for the macro of the mm. whole piece, if you kind of think about it like that, there's, there's like lots of little tiny things where it's just, I think a misunderstanding of what makes certain things work
2: mm-hmm. uh, Yeah.
1: or, or to, to, to my liking. Anyway. Um, mm. uh, so yeah, like the opening's been futzed with a couple shots here and there inter- interstitial stuff's been futzed with, but I'd say after the opening and going all the way up through the montage, it's pretty much mostly exactly what I want for the most part. Yeah. Then there's a then there's that section right after Duke does her spiel and the flat and the, the montage scene, and there's like this, this that last little two thirds of the film right bef- right before she confronts Mark that are the most messed with, mm-hmm. and then from okay. Mark and her confrontation up to the end, it's back to being my movie, again, you know. Okay.
0: Right, um, right Okay, so
1: that's I'm sorry Long, right. long-winded
0: right? That's okay No, no, that's great that's okay Well, maybe we'll get The Elmore cut On Arrow video Ultimately. At some point yes <laughs> I don't I'd
1: rather just move on I mean, this is the It's the version yeah, yeah. of the story That people know now So it's the yeah. one You know
0: that's fair. Maybe show some of those deleted scenes or whatever. I, yeah, I just like, just, I love
2: that line though, about the band. Cause I'm just like, for a minute, yes. I just, I'm like, Oh my God, that's like referencing like, it's going to be like the new vampire
0: Lestat this guy is that's what he yeah. wants to be. like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we'll go into the social media questions and there are a couple of them that are, I think you've essentially addressed. So if there's anything little bit extra that you'd want to throw in, uh, please do so. I just want to make sure the social media folks and our followers get their full questions answered. So uh, Sam Weinman asks, so many queer folks identify personally with Laurel, which speaks to her authenticity as a character. What can you tell me about your process for writing a trans character who experiences may differ from your own?
1: Uh, I think in this particular instance, the key was focusing in on the universal experiences that people have, as opposed to trying to focus on the, the, the things that we trans the Yes. Like it's, and then by focusing on them and attempt to normalize them. Yes. Uh, and yeah. So, so, you know, it's not, nobody's really kind of brought it up, but it's sort of the whole idea is like you get caught up in the vampire movie. You're not noticing the fact that you finally see a character like this, just go to a bar and, hook up with somebody like yep. just a, as a, yep. as a, just a mm-hmm. part of life. Cause that's yeah. a thing that that's like the fantasy element of, 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 genre too, that people like, like the opening parts of those movies where, where you, you where, you know, Michael goes out and sees star and is like, Oh, well, that's a hot chick, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: And it's like,
1: yeah. like people doing that and having those things is like, that's the focusing on those yeah. was I'd say the key to that. And then, and then adding the, those are the universal experiences and then filling in the gaps of that with, you know, I'm, I'm a person of this world. It's stuff I've observed, you know, it wasn't all yeah. just book-based. But then yeah. taking what I'd observed and making sure that I did a, a very obsessive and very meticulous amount of reading and listening, most importantly listening uh, as much as I could to make sure that they, I didn't step out, step out of line and maybe, maybe added a few elements that I felt like the audiences out there who do identify with Laurel would get like mm-hmm. and that maybe uh an audience like me wouldn't maybe pick up on but i'm not really mm-hmm. worried about that you know yeah 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 uh, so yeah th- i'd say that those are the that would be the thing it's just it's just yeah. this is just, you know she wants to get laid she's a young person who, who, who doesn't does? get that you know
0: yeah <laughs> um. yeah 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 exactly
2: Uh, This question comes from Joy Robinson, and the question was, were you inspired by any of the classic lesbian vampire films, or were you conscious of legacy of these films, their themes, when making Bit?
1: Absolutely conscious of them, and I wouldn't say reference of them, because I wasn't, the reference would be that they all, uh, one, I was a little timid in one area, and that area was some of the sex sex stuff, and my fear, my biggest fear, and it it was why I was very insistent on having Like uh, as many women around me in the actual making of the movie, including my DP as possible, uh, like Christina, the DP, wonderful DP, was hired because she's a good DP. But I also am just being very honest and was honest with her about like, I'm going to need a little help here because I keep saying this, but you don't know what you don't know. And I really did not want to have a movie that was, and I've said this before, that was an Otter Pop box full of different girls for dudes to jerk off to. Right.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, oh, so the severe lack of the male gaze of this movie is incredible. So I think yeah, that thank was you where, for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that <laughs> yeah, and I th- Christina deserves a lot of that credit. Yeah. Um, especially as, like during scenes, certain scenes of intimacy, like she was really integral. You know. Um, yeah. In yeah. helping the movie with that. So yeah, I was aware of the lesbian vampire movies, but there's the lesbian vampire movie has a long history being very, very sexual and lurid. In a way that's like titillating, Absolutely. Uh, bo- both on the both on the like artistic spectrum and on the exploitation spectrum. Yeah. And I just didn't feel like this movie was the movie for necessarily that, but I was definitely aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was more aware of the history of vampire brides depicted in versions of Dracula. That was the big, the big mm. one was just like this afterthought of like, like I love Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, but it's like the romance in that movie would be stronger. It's either either he's a pestilent nightmare or he's a romantic <laughs> figure, right? And I feel like I feel like these two elements are at war. I still think the movie's great, but I think it's great because of the design elements, the performances and the sort of feel of the film. Mm-hmm. But I think the movie would be stronger and you'd buy, if you're going to cast Dracula's big romantic figure, maybe don't have women he keeps in his basement. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, yeah. and it's just such an afterthought to, to every, to these versions of Dracula. Yep. Uh, that that he's just got sort of like in the versions where he is a romantic figure, that he's just got these women that are just endless, yep. like,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs>
1: yep, uh, that are just his slaves. Yep. Um, and that was sort of like a jumping off point, really, for the Vlad character was like he's. I just wanted. To, uh, I don't know if you guys are big comic book fans, but um, there's a writer Grant Morrison, and he did this run on Batman where he had he had mm-hmm. every version of Batman throughout time as one like every no matter how ridiculous or campy the take he decided to make it one man's biography okay like how do you how do you reconcile them all existing like the batman who ran on giant typewriter is the same one who did you know mm. um and i did i was like i want to do that with with dracula like every version the 20th century sort of media mm-hmm. version will be one man's biography going all the everything you uh, there's little touches on every single one from like the like, 70s disco Dracula that, you know, some of those exploitation films had to the, to the Coppola version, to the Todd Browning, to like every, everyone I could think of all the way up and sort of ending at um, Dracula 2000, with like new metal Dracula, uh, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, as one. And the reason why he's not actually called Dracula is because in the world of bit, which might've been a mistake, but in the world of bit, the book Dracula exists Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, yes, I just yes. wanted to imply. I, I I just wanted to imply that like this is something. It's the same thing, but it's something mm. older or different. And it's and I do, really didn't want him to be associated with, which is never in the original text, but has sort of just become a part of Dracula now. Is that he's Vlad the Impaler, which I despise. Uh, okay, yeah. um, I mean, I don't despise it, but I just don't want to do it again. You know. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, how do I get away with that? So I came up with like <gasps> a, the most inter. Like I wanted to make fun of like certain things. Like the idea of the byronic hero like he sees himself as like the byronic hero the, yeah. the sort of like man against god and his life is really uh, interesting and tortured and long yeah <laughs> and, and like and just make fun of that because yeah. that's a, yeah. that was such an appealing thing when i was a young man i was just like you know reading nietzsche and, and the poem uh, manfred by lauren byron and be like ah yes that is me the interesting (laughs) man Um, and, and to, to make fun of that. So I gave him, I gave him a a continental name or an intercontinental name that sort of addresses that sort of pompous, Man, Vlad Manfred Castaneda, like Castaneda, (laughs) Juan Carlos Castaneda, the another sort of like grifter, (laughs) just (laughs) just a a thing that you, that you find when you're, you know, he was Juan Carlos Castaneda is like the original Joe Rogan, you know, it's just, just kind of throw that all in there and create the sort of the the anti byronic
0: okay so yeah.
1: <laughs> long way around the bend yes i was aware of those movies uh, it was almost like a, a active pursuit to sort of like not really incorporate that that much of the titillating element mm. but also yeah. all oh, there's a lot of vampire movies a lot of them like a lot of them that i love especially interview with the vampire but there's a ton of queer subtext mm-hmm. whether intended or mm-hmm. not it's there and often yeah, oh, intended yeah, yeah. um yeah. and i just thought that okay p- Marginalized people don't need subtext anymore. Yeah. The X Men don't need to stand in for people that literally exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yep. just get the subtext out of there, and just yep. I'm just going to make it, them all queer, or not all, but make the focus yeah. it around uh, these elements because that's a long running thing with the vampire stories. So, so oh, yeah. to, to yep. take it from subtext to just text, and as if it's not even as if it's just an afterthought, big deal.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Which kind of jumps into our last social media question is from Sophia. And she asks, is there anything you can pinpoint exactly that inspired you to make a movie centered around queer vampires, which I think you just answered. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything else you want to throw into that besides wanting to be like subvert the old tropes of vampires and making things text and not subtext, which was just a fucking brilliant statement that you just I could just applaud that. Just make it text because they deserve it. Let's fucking just do it. So is there anything else you could add to when you're like, yeah, I'm going to make this a queer centered film?
1: You know, I, the queer element, it was more just a, a. I wanted to center it around women more so than anything. And, I, and that was, again, like both in is almost like I came to the conclusion of this, the queer elements. But the the real the real driving factor is is more about, you know, patriarchal structures versus a bunch of uh, uh, a, a small group that that sort of released Duke to some degree, because the character of Frog is written and people can read into anything they want. Like Frog's uh, straight, you know, uh, I mean, there's no text that says she can't be by, but in my head as writing that it, it was, it was more like, um, do cause sort of people that she found interesting or, or may, or have looked into their mind and seen something that resonated with her that reminded her of maybe something she had. So
2: mm-hmm. it,
1: it almost kind of accidentally became queer. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. to be honest, That's like yeah. it kind of, it kind of just fell into that. And it was like, once landed on, um, on writing Laurel as the lead and mm-hmm. it was just like, mm-hmm. If I'm going to do that framework of being drawn into the vampire group by somebody you're attracted to, and the vampire girls are all girls, well, Laurel is now a queer woman, mm-hmm. you know, who is so for the see how it kind of accidentally lent itself to that, like, oh
0: yeah, to yeah, get yeah. her into the yeah.
1: group, it was like, okay, well, who do I know that I like? Uh, I remember this uh, person I really like was super cool, and uh, she would be the perfect like person to meet mm-hmm. that would draw yeah. this character in, and, and it just kind of happened that way, you know. Love that, yeah, yeah. So that, that, I hope that answers that.
0: Yeah, I think it does. It's fantastic, it does, yeah. Everything is great. <laughs> uh,
2: so one of our ending questions I have is, so now that you've written and directed three feature films, what do you have next? What do you have in the works, in the plans? What's going um,
0: on, Brad? What's coming up?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, you know, it's, to be honest, the, the bit didn't necessarily um, make the phone ring, All right. So not yet anyway, you know? Um, yes. I do have some things, irons in fires, uh, and it's, I can definitely say that whatever, well, my hope is that I can, whatever it lands on, I hope it pays me a lot of money. <laughs> so, uh, so that, yeah. you know, because much like anybody else, I would like to live well, and take care of my family and have a, have a good time. But so I guess the, Easiest way to answer that is I just don't know. Whatever, whatever gets made. Yeah, <laughs> it's like whatever, Fair whatever not. where the where the where somebody is interested in it and wants to do it and it's something I've written, I would say that the odds of me I would like I personally would like to maybe get out get out of genre for a film or two mm. and, and focus on things and probably go back to more stylistically what my first two films were like. And as a primary focus of mine, I, I'm much at this time, and most of my life, I'm more interested in examining uh, masculinity and stuff like that than I am necessarily what you'd find in, in bit as much. You know? mm. And also just like there's certain spaces I just shouldn't occupy forever. However, they, if there's more bit, I would love to do that as well. That'd be fun. I'd love to do those characters forever. In, in a perfect world, I would hand that off. I would like mm. come in on another one, kind of get it all together to get like... Get some of the things I want to say, and then just kind of like, oh, you guys want to make more? Well, now I've built this writers' room and this Mm. thing full of people who maybe, maybe are more suited for uh, talking about this. You know, uh, if you if you go too far outside of the realms of the frames of the movie, you're going to come a little bit too far out of what what even I can sustain yeah maybe well, so again way. way too long <laughs> to no it's great <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: great but either way we're all looking forward to it for sure thank you okay final question hey, you ready <laughs> bit girls or bike club where do you stand brad uh, you know oh boy um <laughs> nope nope Five seconds.
1: <laughs>
0: There's a timer.
1: I like the V squad. That's uh, you know. Yeah,
0: I like V squad.
1: But but yeah, I I am hard in the paint for just calling them juggalos. Um, because <laughs> <like>, <laughs> I'm not I'm not only half kidding. I I, I just sort of like I snuck in weird the line two shits in a fuck is a line from an icp song and i can't believe i <laughs> snuck that in there and i and i put that in there because because um Music. Uh, because it also speaks to a type of like duke being a which i think the, the reason why i love diana and why castor is, is that diana understood the cowboy nature of duke yeah
0: like it's right. both a, it's oh, both absolutely. a reference
1: to the thin white duke the bowie element like if, if you allow me to nerd out for a sec in my head, I envision uh, young Aubrey, which is Duke's real name, which is not like a big spoiler reveal. It's in the script. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. Young Aubrey being in the middle of nowhere in the Midwest and realizing there's maybe something about her that she's not supposed to be given her surroundings. Yeah. And then in 19, and then she sees David Bowie on TV and it's like, and it just kind of changes her whole life. Like that gets broadcast in. Sort of like what Velvet Underground or uh, Velvet Goldmine is about, mm. about mm-hmm. that sort of like mm-hmm. how important that was for young people to see. And it's sort of like that was like step one. And she it was like, she began planning her escape from there. And as a teenager moved to New York to go chase that uh, freedom. Um, but she will always be at her core, a shit kicker. She mm. is a shit kicker, raised around shit kickers, which is, I can relate. And it's, I just, she understood that the Duke is both the thin white Duke, but also the Duke, uh, John Wayne, you know? Uh,
2: yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's,
1: it's, it, which is, I imagine her as a kid on her dad's lap watching those movies and going, I want to be him, yeah. cool, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh,
2: that's great. Uh,
1: and right off in the sunset with, uh, yeah. you know, with one of those damsels, you know, it's, it's <laughs> in her like five-year-old mind, like reconciling yeah. what that was yeah. so yeah I, she got that know any who juggalos they're called juggalos that's
0: <laughs> <laughs> well that's all of our questions for the folks that end up listening to this before it's friday june 25th at 9 p.m we have our rainbow railroad charity screening of bit with brad in attendance so if you're listening to this, please come out. Pre-show starts at 8.30 and then the movie starts at 9 p.m. Everything's going to go until 10.30 and beyond. And we hope we see you there. And Brad, thank you again. So, thank you. Yes. This was lovely. Thank you so I much. Great time. Thank, thank you. Was, yeah, really I appreciate you all it. Y'all are
1: very nice to me and very nice <laughs> to the movie and I very appreciate it.
2: <laughs> thank you for taking a risk and making it for us. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs>